Welcome to Dragon Talk. Dragon Jack, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast is here with you. I'm Greg Tito, and that was Shelly Mazanoba. Yeehaw, Shelly the Kid. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew. With your Remember Twinkie? pistols. Remember Twinkie the Kid? I do, yeah. Yeah. It looks Quinn like a wagon wheel. He just, like, the, randomly the other day was like, I would really love to try a Twinkie. Okay, I can make that happen. Um, yeah, he's never had a Twinkie before. That's surprising. Yeah. It definitely. I mean, it's kind of in that yellow beige food realm that he seems to like eating. Yeah. But yeah, my bad. Sorry, kids. Sorry. I haven't introduced you to that. But anyway. Tasty kids. Yahoo! Oh. <laughs> Excited to talk to you for this podcast because we've got a great episode. Coming at you. Yeah. We're going to talk to uh, Mackenzie de Armas and learn about some fun monsters and then speak to the folks behind D&D in a castle. What a cool idea that I've been watching develop from afar, this idea of going mm-hmm. on a specialty vacation to play Dungeons and Dragons with the best of the best in the best location possible. A castle. An actual castle. I know. It's like, it's too good to be true. Right? But it's true. It is. Uh, and so you're going to hear all about that from Cameron and Tara Rout, a brother and sister group. What a cool idea, too, I, of like getting together with your, with your family to start a business. Now tell me, when we were talking to them, you didn't think about Drunky and Daryl. <laughs> I, did, I didn't, but I also was, I was thinking about like, man, I would not be able to start a business with my siblings. <laughs> 100%. I love my brother, but there's no way we would. It would just end up being whatever he wanted it to be. But Don't Drunky and Daryl, I feel like uh, they are. Also a bad idea. A bad idea. <laughs> exactly. That would well, we'll find work. out more about what's happening with them at the end of this episode. Uh, some crazy things are afoot. Yeah. All right. Well, there is exciting things happening in the world of Dungeons & Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. You'll find all about that out at Wizards Presents on August 18th. August mm-hmm. 18th, even. Um, I don't want to spoil any of the beans. No. You you will not. I spoiled the beans. Nope. Um, very exciting. But tune in everywhere where Dungeons & Dragons uh, channels are going live, uh, and you'll find out everything that we are not talking about right now. Nope. Not saying a word. God, I almost did. I almost just said it. Stop. I did. I stopped. Z- For you. Z- For you. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Well, also for you, we've got Mackenzie DeArmas coming on to meet your monsters. Let's get yeah. it on. Yeah. Let's welcome Mackenzie DeArmas back for another Meet Your Monsters. Hi, Mackenzie. Hey. <laughs> I very excitedly bought my mic, but it's fine. It's totally fine. We are going to meet in this segment a monster that is from and exists in space, the Scaver. Yes, the Space yeah. Sharks. Space Sharks. They okay. are going to eat your face Yeah. if you don't eat their face first. 
I mean, yes. there were a lot of cute monsters in Boo's Monster Menagerie, but these you, are cute. You, you chose the scaver. These are cute. Yes, I definitely, as I said, when I pulled up this entry, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this definitely feels like a Mackenzie monster. <laughs> this this I, has you written all over it. I have, people who maybe follow me on Twitter know that I have a very great love for sharks, and these happen to be sharks in space, so naturally I look at them and go, no, they're my favorite, I love them. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have very, um, there's always a bigger fish energy to them. Yeah. From uh, from Phantom Menace, which uh, always hits me right in the space opera, um, the space opera loving heart. Uh, because there are four scavers and they all kind of just grow in size from mm. the sort of small nuisance uh, gray scavers to the massive void scavers. Um <laughs> And they are absolutely oh. wonderful. I love them. And they feel so at home in a setting that is sort of based on that idea of deep space is very much like the deep ocean where we don't know what's in there. Uh, and so having these creatures that move through space like water sort of falls right into that territory. And it's so much fun. Um, and they're just, they're just. They're just doing their best. They just follow what's around and eat people, and it's fine. I think some of the amazing artwork that we've been showing uh, leading up to the release of Spelljammer, which is now, it's now out there for everyone to enjoy, uh, is the idea that, like, the astral sea, right, is is mm -hmm. analogous to Earth's oceans in that yep. you have no idea what's what's what can be down there, and scavers are just, uh, yeah, wh where do they fit in, in the... Uh, life cycle or like you know how, how, how do they interact with both player characters but also other wildlife in the astral sea so starting out with like the smaller scavers you have your gray scavers and your brown scavers uh those are the kinds of scavers that are regarded more as nuisances by most spell jamming crews um they are uh, scavengers Really, they will follow around a spell jamming ship. They will slip into its air envelope and just sort of eat any waste and debris. Um, and they are very much like, um, I always think of them uh, like when you get, you know, your aquariums and you have those little like bottom feeder fish. Oh, that yeah, you get the garbage that just kind suckers. Of like the garbage suckers that sort of scoot around on the bottom or along the sides of the glass. Um, I imagine that, but like six feet long and attached to the side of a spell jamming ship is what I imagine a like gray and brown scavers to be like. Mm. Okay, uh, okay, I'm scavers. sorry. I'm gonna. I just have to stop you there for a moment because you were like, mm, they're just like a nuisance. They're not no big deal. It says right here that it a brown scaver likes to swallow its prey whole. Yeah, I was gonna get to that. <laughs> okay, as long as we're gonna cover that. Oh yeah, too, yeah. No, no, we're gonna get there. It's mm -hmm. it's it's fine. They just oh, sometimes do fine. that. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, gray okay, scavers, carry on. Yeah, gray scavers are the ones that are. I imagine like more being the bottom feeders. Mm -hmm. uh, brown scavers are similar to that, but they also have the caveat of. Um, yeah, they do swallow things whole. Um, okay. Which is not your normal... <laughs> A caveat. <laughs> caveat. <laughs> uh, and they are also poisonous. So they have these very poisonous stomachs that help Ooh. digest their prey. Um, but because in the vastness of wild space, uh, creatures that are six feet long or larger aren't the 
biggest fish in the pond. Um, Brown's cavers still kind of fall into that more um, nuisance territory when you're comparing them to the other scavers, which are the night scavers and the void scavers, which are way more aggressive. And those kind of fall into your category of analogous to deep sea monsters like the Kraken, but this is in space. Oh, wow. Space Kraken. Yeah. Space Krakens. (laughs) But they they all have the general... uh, anatomy of shark-like but with a lot of fins yes shark-like with lots of fins and uh, my favorite thing is that they have one eye one eye right in their forehead um and i like to imagine when you are sailing through wild space and you can just sort of see that one kind of eye moving through the stars as it swims as like this kind of indication of something's coming it's oh, not going to be good. Yeah. But you won't know if you just see that little red eye coming towards you. Yes. That if it's a brown yeah. scaver or a void scaver. I mean, you could probably tell by relative size. Um, but I think the the one that I am really excited to do that sort of slow entrance with where you have that glowing eye just sort of slowly creeping among the stars is the night scaver. Because the night scaver is very much patterned to look like the night sky, hence its yeah. name. And so it has that built-in camouflage, and you can just imagine this one sort of glowing eye just sort of weaving through that silvery starlight landscape as you sail through space, and you just see that light just sort of coming closer and closer. Um, Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a feeling in our game on Friday, we're about to encounter one of these, but um, I'll pretend that this is, I don't know any of this information. Like a true shark. Yes. Now, if I'm on a relatively large boat and there's a shark in the water, I should feel somewhat secure being on the boat, thinking, well, that shark can't just like climb out of the water and get me. I don't know that that's true here no, for scavengers. The, the, the shark can. Uh, the interesting thing about wild space is that there isn't really a distinct difference between like. Yeah. You know, on a regular there's no underwater and, and on water. See, there is no, yeah, there's no yeah. underwater and above water. Right. Everything is the water for the scaver. Okay. All right. That's, um, that they, seems like an unfair advantage. Just saying. <laughs> but they do only have one eye. So their depth perception is not that good. Okay. <laughs> right? Yes. Is that true, McKenzie? <laughs> yes, they have one eye. I, their depth perception probably isn't the greatest, but also I don't think like real sharks depth perception is all that great and they have two eyes so <laughs> so the small consolation is that what you're saying their mm. their sense of yes. scent uh and and other uh senses is what draws yes. them to I, their prey yeah they are very much they're they're hungry boys they want to eat and so they probably rely more on scent uh for their um for their tracking of meals. Um, but yeah, Shelley, like you said, uh, these things can actually enter into the air envelopes of ships. So they can just sort of slip in and coast along in the air envelope with the spell jamming ship that they are essentially using as their food source. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh, so they become like, not parasites, but like that idea of they're always yeah. there with you. Yep. And do crews like ever uh, encourage that or use them, like have them as pets for that reason? <laughs> feel like there are probably some Spelljammer crews out there who have a scaver as a waste disposal kind of. Just throw it some uh, scraps yeah. and, and keep it there. Kind of like, creature, yeah. 
probably like a like a like a gray scaver would make a very good pet. Um, and I do believe in Light of Xerxes, there might be a character who has a couple scavers as pets, <laughs> quote points. unquote pets. Um, but well, yes, now I want to I, create a druid that uh, or, and or a ranger who has their animal companions. <laughs> uh, the space, space shark. shark. Yeah, that's fun. Yes. Yeah. I also the other cool thing about scavers, and I love that we included this detail, is that apparently they taste really good. Oh. Like swordfish, like it's got like a, like a, it, it can be prepared yeah. in such a way as a delicacy. Yeah, it's it, this is a direct excerpt from the from Booze Astral Menagerie, but cooked night scaver meat is a popular offering in taverns across wild space. Ooh, wow! All right, so now that then there could potentially be mm-hmm. spell jamming crews who are fishermen. Yeah, like yep. like the Alaskan. Fishing boats. <laughs> yeah, they can just right. <laughs> go out there looking for scavers, I guess. Yes. I well, love that. Yeah. It's so, just like that's just such a fun detail to include of like, oh yeah, by the way, even though these creatures are kind of big enough to eat you, you can also eat it. And the circle of life continues. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, so tell, talk a little bit about the void scavers. Like what makes uh, them yeah, so yeah. much more dangerous than the yes. gray or brown ones? So the void scavers really, to me, they feel like, uh, like I mentioned, like that, that, like that kraken or that mythical sea monster, but now translated to space. These things are massive. I like to imagine them on the scale of like the, um, the creatures in uh, the first Avengers movie that are very big and long with the big uh, maw and like the fins mm. that kind of weave through the buildings of New York City. Uh, these are scavers that in, are are aren't are, these are scavers that aren't satiated by just feeding off of scraps, and they will actively go hunt down ships. Um, they are these massive void colored scavers that are almost like pitch black, and they have this glowing eye and their extreme size and their general presence allows them to, or not allows them, but in contrast to all the other scavers, the void scaver has this ability to launch a ray of fear from its big eye Mm. uh, that can frighten and instill this otherworldly terror into its prey as it sort of goes around to swallow it and feast upon the denizens of wild space which i think and i i love that that fear element because that ties really well into that um mythical monster aspect yeah, totally like even though this is wild space and everything is a little bit weird there are always like those mythical stories or sea shanties of those giant monsters and so it makes sense that if you hear someone talking about scavers and scavers those like the gray and brown varieties or even the night varieties are familiar enough to most wild spacers. Uh, But then you hear tale of the bigger scaver that has this strange otherworldly terror to it that is larger than the largest ships and is night black with a glowing red eye that feels like you're meeting a a ship captain describing a kraken. And it's like, oh, it's like, it's the same feeling of it's just a big octopus. Like, I don't see how that could exist. That's not true. And then you go out in a wild space and you see the massive terror of a void scaver. Mm. Is that, um, so yeah, you mentioned uh, yes. wanting to use that as a DM 
is that type of thing gonna be uh super fun for players to engage with like should it be <laughs> something that's a detail or do you think it'd be something that like could almost be an entire campaign as we're saying like those chasing the one white void scaver <laughs> the, one, the moby dick void scaver yes that's what i was thinking <laughs> call me space ishmael <laughs> <laughs> all right space ishmael um i uh, so i always like that I think it'll be a very fun, uh, there are two ways to go about it. It can be a very fun, uh, like one-off encounter. Um, like as you're traversing the wilds of wild space, um, like the night scavers and the brown scavers especially are these very cool, like encounters that feel natural to the realm of wild space that you can run and very easily, uh, fill up that journey time. And give that journey time that more dynamic feeling. They also allow for, uh, as Shelly mentioned, like this very dynamic combat because they can move up and around uh, ships and sort of do the swimming over very easily, which allows for some super dynamic and fun and, and interesting and clever ways of using gravity and really exploring the possibilities of like gravity planes and air envelopes and all that sort of thing. Um, I think Void Scavers, due to their scale, um, I always see them as a little bit more of a a small quest. Nothing like campaign ending, but being able to hear the stories of a void scaver in a wild space tavern mm-hmm. and or hearing a wild space spaceport uh being beleaguered by the presence of a void scaver and having to go out on a small quest to hunt down the void scaver and get rid of it. I think those would be very good ways of having a even just like an introduction into the world of wild space, especially if you have mm-hmm. a, an adventuring party who is higher level and moving from a terrestrial campaign up into wild space, uh, introducing them by introducing them into a quest to hunt down a void scaver that is terrorizing a ship crew or is uh, rampaging through the the border astral and trying and taking out different spell jamming ships. And so the uh, adventuring crew on their first outing into wild space is sent to go tackle this monster Um, and having that be their introduction to the world of wild space, as well as like the kinds of monsters you can see and the different, uh, the different environments and dangers that might be there. Um, I love the idea too, now of having a, an idyllic, uh, comet or asteroid that's a vacation spot for many people that's being terrorized by a void scaver yeah uh, and the police chief beleaguered who must try to <laughs> keep that beach safe yep i uh, also like the idea of like having for like lower level players who still maybe want to or not necessarily want to experience a void scaver but Lower level players who are venturing through wild space and aren't at the level where they can actually tackle a void scaver in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, there are quite a few really awesome like video game references that I like to think of. Um, I know I think some people will like say like, oh, Elden Ring. Um, but <laughs> I actually like, especially when it comes to Spelljammer, I like thinking of like Subnautica and the idea of exploring the deep sea yeah, and totally. seeing those massive shadows kind of moving in the distance yeah. of those massive sea monsters and knowing that at some point you'll have to go there. You don't have to go there just yet, 
but you know it's there and it is both an incentive to work towards being strong enough to figure out what's beyond the void scaver and also that deep primal fear of knowing that you are not the biggest fish in the pond. That's so good. Mm. Yeah. So the uh, Dungeon Master's got a lot of uh, tools that they can use scavers for, just as as you said, like the nice introduction, what does the astral sea feel like? Mm-hmm. But then having that always on uh, terror going on beyond. I love that idea that you mentioned when we started this of like, oh, there's always a bigger fish. So like, yeah. you know, feel free to make up one that's bigger than the void scaver that is, uh, uh, you know. Wh- sun scavers yeah. would be so cool. <laughs> Yes. Whale scavers. Yeah, right. The Kandori, uh, maybe. <laughs> eat the oh, it's scavers. like it's like the whale shark version yeah. of a scaver. It's actually just an herbivore. It's just massive. It doesn't eat anything or anyone. It just kind of is there having a good time. Yeah, why it. not? So fun. Well, check out uh, Spelljammer's uh, Adventures. In, spell, there's no S on that. Spelljammer Adventures mm-hmm. in Space. And, of course, Boo's Astral Menagerie, which contains mm-hmm. uh, all this information on scavers. Um, and now I'm going to go cook myself a uh, night yeah, scaver have- lunch. Yes. Ugh. Night scaver. Breaded scaver. I'm going to go get a fish fillet at McDonald's. <laughs> <Which is laughs> I bet it's the same made. thing. It's the same thing. It's totally Mixed the same scaver. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's an, an establishment on the rock of brawl going forward it could be it could yeah. be I'm sure they have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thanks so much Mackenzie it's always great to hear from you about uh, these wonderful monsters how can people find out uh, more about them and all the fun things you're doing for the D&D team um, so uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Mackenzie Lane DA. That is M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A. I will happily uh, extol the wonderful virtues and terrors of all the lovely monsters we're creating over on the D&D team, including the Scavers, as well as other wonderful creatures you can find in Boo's Astral Menagerie. And as more creatures come out, as we keep producing some really awesome products, I will be excitedly talking about them over on my Twitter once I am able to and those products are out in the wild. Thank you so much for having me again. I always love talking about world building and monsters um, and making these horrifying monsters uh, seem cute and coddling Uh. them with my baby voice. <laughs> well, now I need some pet scabbers as well. I know. Oh, oh they're so cute. They're they're so cute. Good. Who's a good space shark? Who's a cyclops shark? Oh, who's a, who's a oh. good cyclops shark? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. What a good boy. Oh, my gosh. Only Mackenzie can, can make these things cute. I'm telling you. It's true. I want to hug them now. Thanks, Mackenzie. They are my loves. You're the best. All right. Thank you so the much. Bye. Thank you. Absolutely love talking to Mackenzie about all of her spacey eels. Very interesting monsters that everyone's going to know and love when Spelljammer comes out on September 16th. Yeah. Um, September 16th. August 16th, I mean. August, sure. yeah. Like, like while you're, when you're listening to this. It, it's oh, crap, yeah. Out. When you're listening to this, it's going to be out. Time travel. Oh, my goodness. Oh. That means... There's also something else out that everyone should be streaming and or downloading right now. They probably are. Actually, take a break to listen to this podcast, but then immediately go back and check out Spell Jam. 
music inspired by Spell, Jammer, Adventures in Space. How awesome is that album? So good. So good. I have so many favorite tracks. There's 19 different tracks on this amazing album from artists all over the spectrum of dunge- or the, the, the music genre list, right? right? We've got funk, we've got uh, hard rock, we've got ethereal rock, we've got alternative, we've electronica. got electronica. Like, like genres that I am just not even cool enough to know, didn't even but know they existed. Cool enough to talk about. Spell jams. <sighs> so download it uh, wherever you can or stream it wherever you can right now. And maybe if you're that interested in it, they might want a vinyl artifact edition coming your way, which you can now pre-order. I am going to go ahead and say that I got to see the art for that artifact. Put in the art in artifact. Wait, (laughs) A-R-T. Yes. Is that how you spell it? Okay, yeah. Um, Holy cow. It is stunning. Very stunning. It is three panels and the interior, the external, the like any bit of space that we could put something cool, we have put something cool and it's stunning. It's gorgeous. So um, definitely pre-order that if that's your jam. Get it. Uh, Even if it's not, just if you just want to see some really cool, beautiful art, then... You're going to love it. You'll love that edition as well. And I love that it's the Artifact edition. I do too. I do too. I just came up with that when we were writing some copy. And I'm like, well, it is. It's an artifact that you're going to want to keep forever. Uh, Our friends at Kill Rockstars, the label, uh, said that they like to create music artifacts uh, with with their physical final editions. And I was like, that's what D&D is all about. It's all about artifacts. So it was like this perfect... Meld. We're going to talk to Chris Funk and Chris Perkins later on this month about Spell Jam specifically. So look forward to that interview. But in the meantime, we've got D&D in a castle to talk about. There's so much cool stuff. Castles. It's a good time to be a D&D fan. That's right. Yeah. There's never been a better time to be a D&D fan. Never. Everyone, let's welcome three amazing people to Dragon Talk. We've got Amanda Hammond. Hi, Amanda. Hello, Greg. How are you today? Very good. Very excited for you to be here. And we also have two brother and sister, Cameron Rout and Tara Rout, co-founders of D&D in a Castle with us. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to talk about this event. D&D in a Castle is something that I think every kid dreamed of when they were uh, growing up to, you know, play a wonderful fantasy role-playing game in the kind of setting where those uh, stories take place. Is that Was that your dream, uh, Karen and Tara? Yeah, well, actually, when I, back in 1986, my dad brought home the Red Box, and Tara and I played D&D uh, for the first time. There weren't really any kids to play with. Uh, we lived in New Zealand at the time and kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so, um, but then in, you know, in the nineties and the stranger things era, well, maybe a little after, but um, <laughs> I got to play, I got to play uh, with my friends in high school and uh, yeah, we, we dreamed and schemed of many things in the future. So this has been a, you know, a, a realization of that dream uh, with uh, you know, I get to do with my sister after all these years has been pretty cool. That's amazing. I I just I love the whole idea of this of actually playing D anD D in a setting that, as Greg said, resembles where your stories might actually be taking place. It's like it's like watching The Bachelor in a hot tub while drinking Chardonnay. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's fully immersive. 
But no, which you do is, all the time, right? Shelley? Which I do all the time. Every Monday, <laughs> that's where you can find me. But I love, I just love the idea. Also, I think maybe because I have a brother and we're very close. But like a brother and sister, like you guys doing this together. It's just, what's it like for you to to be working together on this? I don't oh think boy. we would have. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think we would have gotten through if we weren't brother and sister. You know, we, <laughs> we spent our our youth definitely, you know, tearing each other's faces off and yelling in each other's faces. So you know, any yeah. kind of stress or things like that, there's an underlying relationship that's very strong, and not it's not going to be a a breaking point for us. Even though obviously there's a lot going on when running an event like this. And uh, we always say Cam's the D&D and I'm the castle. That's sort of how we work uh, because, you know, the immersive fantasy experience is totally my jam. So uh, that's kind of what I do is like world building in a kind of borderline larky sort of way. And uh, so so we kind of each bring different things to the table. And um, I think that's what that's what makes it work is we each have a different sort of angle that we're coming at it from. So we balance each other out quite well that way. Yeah, as like entrepreneurs, um it's been great to be able to have a co-founder that you can pass off to that you fully trust, you yeah. know, like we're pretty replaceable in any situation. So, you know, if one person's overwhelmed or, you know, there, there needs to be two people in the same, in different places at the same time, um, having a co-founder that you can really rely on, I think is, is definitely part of that success. Um, it's, it's definitely critical for being able to get through what you need to, in order to grow something like this. It's like being a co-DM. I kind of like that. You guys can trade mm-hmm. off and, and <laughs> take on the different roles that you need to do for your, for your party, uh, which are the guests who are coming to this. So, Amanda, yeah. you have been following along uh, and, and seeing some of the things going on with D&D in the castle, and you're excited to, uh, to, to run some games this year, right? I really am. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that, you know, when I got hired at Wizards a couple of years ago, um, after, you know, having a long career in tabletop RPGs and been playing D&D since I was 15 years old, one of the first thoughts I had was maybe I get to go to D&D in a castle. (laughs) 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 I really wanted to do it. So when I got manifested. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, imagine my my freak out, my my nerd freak out um, when Ray Winninger forwarded me Tara's email um, saying, hey, this might be something that you'd be good at and you'd enjoy. And I was like, I guess that'd be fine. <laughs> if I must, I shall take one for the team. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, mentally just like, ah, Kermit flail everywhere. So I'm really excited. This will this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity and I'm looking forward to putting together what I hope is a world-class experience. Um, yeah, I have I have experienced DMing at events all around the world. So I hope to be able to bring that expertise to this event. Yeah. So yeah. that is, I mean, the 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 people who get to experience D and D in a castle, which could be anyone listening, because you can still sign up to to play and and get an amazing immersive experience but what what is it going to be like for those people mm-hmm. and i want to ask you tara and cameron like what is what what what's the experience you're expecting for the guests and then i would love to ask you amanda like what the experience will be for people who happen to sit at your table yeah absolutely okay so walk us through well, we this can talk about the event so we're blue in the face yeah, we <laughs> really talk about the event for a very long time that's so, why you're here uh, Yes. The, 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 there's different aspects of the event, but first and foremost, it's a vacation um, where you get to focus on what you really wish you were doing on vacation. You know, like um, our, our like 
alternatives that people choose between are things like cruises or backpacking adventures or things like that, where they would, you know, where they would spend their vacation time. Um, and as an alternative, you know, you could go on, uh, you know, a backpacking adventure and want to be playing D&D the whole time or, or et cetera. And it all started back in 2017 when I planned a little retreat for my friends where we, uh, you know, we rented a house and we all went to play D&D for a long weekend. And it really struck me how difficult it is to get that much time to play D&D as a, as a grown up with like real world responsibilities, you know might get your Thursday night game for a few hours or something like that. But, you know, it's been decades since we're, you know, locked in Lauren's basement playing D&D for seven days straight, you know, like that intensity of, of time that really is, in my opinion, the sort of how the game's meant to be played, right? It's, it's a long format game. It's nice when you don't have any other responsibilities or obligations getting in the way. You can just riff on what you're doing and go, go, go. And so... I realized that, um, you know, being able to do that as a vacation um, is really the secret sauce. And so that's why it's in a castle, so that it's a vacation that's 100% dedicated to playing D&D. No one's babysitter won't show up. No one has to dip out to run errands. No one has to go home early. You're all there. You're in a castle spending your hard-earned vacation time um, on a four-day experience with 24 hours plus campaign. Um, you know, in there. So the experience is, and we've decided to make everything about the event um, about making the best game of D&D possible. Something that you can't get anywhere else because where else are you going to get everyone else at your table taking, you know, a week off to fly to England to go it's and very play? very hard to do. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, and so the experience is, is very much about the game, but that means, you know, also having activities that are related to the game and how do we, you know, get... Um, how do we get people there in a way like we have an event called you meet in a tavern is our, is our first event and like just, just everything is about that. So I'll let Tara talk a bit more about the actual experience, but that's the, that's the, what people should expect is the best game you can get. And we get people really frustrated because they say you've, you've broken D and D because I can't, you know, you oh, go back yeah. to your regular game, but you're, you're waiting to get back to the castle because when else are you going to get three days with a world-class DM playing all day and all night? Like, the one shots and the activities and everything like it's just it's packed and so it's a type of experience that you know uh, you come for the castle and stay for the game you know yeah and we that? also it's all inclusive mm-hmm. meals and everything so you never have to figure out where you're going to eat you never have to drive and find parking near the restaurant and then someone can't eat there or everything is tailored to our guests every we have very small number of guests compared to a lot of events and so it's very personalized service and, and very tailored to the event's experience. And part of, as Cam mentioned, providing an amazing game of D&D is engaging people like Amanda, who's also here, <laughs> to uh, provide often content that they themselves created or for some of our, our DMs who are streamers and so on in worlds they may have seen or with characters they may have, you know, loved from uh, other games and campaigns that they've experienced or, or, or watched. So people are very excited about the, the DMs they get to play with. And also a lot of people are themselves DMs and they always have to DM because they're the only one. And so they never get to just play. It's actually quite a common experience with our guests is that someone else will come and DM. We can find a DM. We actually had one guest who came who had, he told me he had read all the D&D books, every D&D book that had ever been published. He'd read them since like the eighties and he had never played a game of D&D because he could never find a group. Wow. So for some people, 
I couldn't believe that that could yeah. be a reality for someone, but that was someone, I think they were from Winnipeg and they just had not ever been able to find a group. And a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are curious about D&D, who've heard about D&D or thought, I've always wanted to play that, but they have no idea where to start, you know? And we have a number of even first timers who, again, then they're broken for D&D yeah. and they have to keep coming back to the castle because it's the only place they get that kind of experience. But in terms of the, um, the event itself, Yes, everybody gathers at the tavern and it's sort of a landing place for everybody to kind of recover. It's in uh, Lumley Castle, which is a genuine 14th century fortification uh, that's seen some real action, beheadings and kidnappings and intrigue <laughs> and ghosts. ghosts. It's one of the haun most haunted places in Europe or in, oh. in the UK. Uh, it's very thick stone walls, all the accoutrement. You feel like you're in the Great Hall at maybe Hogwarts when you're <laughs> sitting having dinner at the banquet. We have live music and a, and a sort of medieval banquet that we host. We call it the Barovian Ball on opening night. Uh, and everybody does a session zero with their DM. So you can just show up and get into, uh, into the game right away. Ugh. And then uh, every day you play for two four-hour sessions with your DM. So unlike a lot of other events where there's gaming, you are committed to one table for the whole time. You're in one game throughout. So you have one campaign DM that you play with for eight hours each day and two four-hour sessions. And then we have separate one-shot DMs who are running one-shot games throughout as well that you can sign up for and join in on. And then we have other activities like um, an escape room, mini painting. mini painting, puzzle hunts that are custom designed. Weather permitting, we sometimes have outdoor activities. And we have outdoor activities as well, like falconry, axe throwing, archery, <gasps> pigeon shooting, um, croquet. <laughs> Croquet is not very D&D, &D, but, <laughs> you know, we, we have all kinds it's of royalty. for everybody's interests. Um, the queen of hearts. So basically, no one has to stop playing D&D &D from the moment they arrive till the moment they leave. And there's not a lot of sleeping. There's not a lot of sleeping. No. That's the dream, and right? People yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And people tend to, you know, actually go to bed so they can get up and, you know, the tables start at 9 a.m. So, like, it's, we're there to play. Like, that's what everyone's there for. And. Um, what I love is that we had set out to capture this magic. We set out to capture something that really only happens, you know, when you're able to sit around a table playing this game for a long period of time, going through a, a you know, end-to-end -end campaign together, which is this type of bond that is difficult to describe to people who don't play D&D. Like, mm -hmm. a bunch of strangers come together from completely different walks of life often um, and, you know, come together around this game and they leave with this, you know, you hear them talking in the, in the library bar at the end with this absolute like enthusiasm for this great accomplishment they've had together and, you know, how they stay in touch between events. And, you know, castlers are a community of people that are forming around this experience. It's kind of turning into a... Um, it's not actually a cult. It's not a cult, no. <laughs> but, but you do but it all together. Know, you might have some questions about that. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, mission accomplished as far as yeah. capturing, canning the lightning and being able to, to bottle it so that people, you know, can grow that and share that. You know, we've grown three to five times per year every year. year. Every year we, we have this event, it grows three to five times. I mean, we're, we're trying to chill out a bit as we, you know. Return uh, from COVID. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, the, the, it's really people and a lot of them are people who have heard about it from someone who's gone and, you know, heard about the experience and, and want to go and, and the DMs that are, you know, want to come are just incredible. And it, it tends to feed on itself with this, you know, kind of magic. And the people who show up, they all have the same message of, I found my people. I found my mm. place. Yeah. The castle is my home. 
that's how they feel. They have to go back into like the muggle world, you know, they have to go back to ordinary life and they don't want to, but <laughs> they're just getting through life to be able to get back to the castle where they're, they can be themselves, where they can be accepted and be among yeah. their family. We have about an 80% return rate, which tells you something. Wow. Oh, four wow. Four or five people come back year over year and that one in five is usually due to extenuating circumstances <laughs> that they can't make it. Like it's a, it's a thing. It's become like the, Burning Man of D and D or something like that, where it's like an annual experience that people want to have. We even well, went to multiple rounds in the same year, like yeah, three, four rounds in one what, year. What I love about this too is that it's such like a a, a a platonic ideal of what people think of when they think of when they play Dungeons and Dragons when they were kids, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna, when I'm an adult, I'm going to play D and D all weekend long, yeah. right? And then you're yes, like, oh wait, exactly. I'm actually able to do it and make it reality, and that's so cool. Like, is that is that part of the energy that you're thinking about uh, bringing to this, Amanda? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's what I, I hope to really lean into to really fulfill those sort of fantasies, right? Of like, oh, my gosh, when I'm a grown up, like you said, Greg, I'm going to play D&D all weekends. And then I hope that they show up with uh, that expectation and then I'll be there and I'll be like, you said you wanted to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we definitely have a contingent of our guests that are, you know, adults who played D&D when they were kids. And now they're grown ups and their mortgages under control and their kids are old enough. And they're like, what do I actually want to do with my time? I'm now like, you know, a, a working adult. I can do whatever I want on my vacation. And what do I actually want to do? I just want to play D&D. Like, why can't I play D&D? Well, because you can't find friends or free at the same time and you can't get this kind of experience. And so that's what we're here for. We're here for those people who are like, why can't I just play D&D? We're and all that gif, uh, that gif of Will from, uh, from Stranger Things being like, can uh, we play D&D now? Like, that's what yeah. everybody is experiencing their entire Stranger life. Stranger Things has captured castle. so well that feeling and the experience, especially if you've seen season four. I, I just really related that as it gets kind of like closer to the 90s and stuff. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I'm really sure. excited to hear how uh, Amanda is planning on what kind of game uh, yeah, yeah, no. Do you have any sneak, sneak previews you want to give us? Ooh, I mean, so, ooh, go ahead, Shelly. I mean, I was just, when they said that the castle was probably haunted, I immediately was like, Amanda's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I feed into my horror stories that I would like to tell you and scare you. When you said there's not a lot of sleeping that happens at night, I consider that a personal challenge so that it's easier <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> Nice. You know, but really, um, you know, be, being a, a good DM, especially at events like this, is all about giving the people what they want. So I'm opening up communications with the people who are currently slated to be on my table about what kind of story do they want to play through. Um, obviously, I led the Strixhaven book that came out in December. And if there's a ton of excitement um, around the table for that, then we'll play through, um, you know, year one through three or maybe all four years in a truncated version at the castle. And we can let everybody run around a magical campus. Uh, doing all of the events and romancing all the NPCs and doing uh, whatever it is that their heart desires, wanting to return to that sort of youth of childhood. Uh, if it turns out that most of the people are there because they're a fan of the horror games that I've written and worked on in the past, then we will absolutely do that. And that is a very good setting for it. I love that there's a Barovian ball yes. uh, that you guys mentioned. And in fact, now I'm like, oh, should I bring cosplay? Maybe I should bring cosplay. <laughs> it's something I just started doing, but I feel like that might kind of lean into that sort of theme if that's what people want to do. Um, so we're having discussions 
And um, I just talked to Justin from the castle over the weekend. And um, as of Saturday or Saturday or Sunday, I believe there's one spot at my table left. So those of you who are listening to this and really interested uh, in helping to build that story that I will lead you through, why don't you jump in on round five, join my table and you can get on in on it just like everybody else. It's the Dragon Talk bump. We're going to get all these uh, slots filled up for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's getting close to the event. So, you know, it's uh, it's definitely coming down to the to the last minute if people want to want to join, but there's still space. You know, nice. one of the things we tell our DMs is bring your game. Play the game yeah. that you do best. And, you know, if you've written, you know, you've, you've led Strixhaven, obviously that's, you know, your game, the experience that you can deliver. One of my favorite stories was uh, James Intracasso ran... Um, Rise of Tiamat, but it was after Tiamat one. So it was a post-apocalyptic Rise of Tiamat. Um, with and so it was something he had always wanted to run and forgot to run it. So it was like as exciting for him as it was for the players to have that kind of unique experience. So whatever gets the DMs excited and they get to run the game that they want to play, you know, Jeremy always does something very theatrical and there's a lot of walking about the castle and talking about um, you know, the, the NPCs and characters. So, you know, everyone's got their style and they, they bring their best game and it makes it fun for everyone. And I do want to say, you know, you mentioned cosplay and certainly there's an overlap between interests in cosplay and LARP and D&D. It's definitely not a LARP or cosplay event uh, in any way, but there are certainly opportunities for people to express that passion. For example, at the Barovian Ball, you can come in a t-shirt. Like <laughs> loads of people come in their yoga pants and it's fine. But if you want a chance to really exhibit, you know, <laughs> dress up in whatever whatever that is for you, uh, as particular cosplay, as a specific character that you've played or loved, you know, that's the time for it and an opportunity. And we're also working in um, an extension of that ball as an in-game experience slash sort of one-shot option of, of having an actual ball in the castle that's just a ball with live music and dancing and and we'll work with the DMs in terms of they want to like plant clues in the ball and people can come and, and engage in that as sort of an additional experience as well. So, and again, for that, people are welcome to come in their jeans and t-shirts or they're welcome to come in full regalia and costume, whatever they, uh, whatever interests them. So there's certainly opportunity to, for that kind of expression. And Tara, it seems like you have that like instinct to want to do more immersive gameplay, let's say, not necessarily full on LARPing, but like that idea of like bringing elements from uh, the real life that we're experiencing and making those gamified in some ways. And this event just yeah, feels we like found that, a perfect we found, combination. We tried different things. Like one of the things we do is we bring in professional actors as NPCs to help like contribute to the table. Um, a few that came this year, like Kellen Coleman, who's from The Office, BoJack Horseman, like Newsroom, Newsroom, that, like a lot We've of amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she played a uh, the Raven Queen for Mark Muir's table, and her oh instructions were burst in at some random moment and dispel these prophecies. Right, oh. so she just got to burst in in the middle of the game and create. And what we found is like. Um, instead of trying to organize too deeply with any particular game, you just create these resources and the DMs will write around it. It's like, look, in this room, there's a there's a fiddler who will play music and people ready to dance. All you have to do is walk in and tell us what to do and we'll do it. And people will write it in. They'll find the, the time that it works. Or you say, these NPCs are available at these times for your table and you know they'll write them in. They'll make it happen. And so just figuring out how can we create this game, this unbeatable game of D&D, like, where else are you going to be playing D&D and Kellen Coleman's going to break in and dispel prophecies for mm-hmm. your, your <laughs> professional voice actor DM? Like, it's it's pretty uh, incredible. Now and we only sure. How does that work? Oh, sorry. 
How We're does it work? About yeah, like, did, will the dungeon master say, like, here's an NPC that I think would be cool to have an actor we've, portray? No, we've rec- we recruit when, when people, when, you know, when people sign up, we, we look for a balance of dungeon masters that we know can handle an eight hour a day game. Um, and then we, there's people who really want to come, um, but they just, you know, they might just want to run one shots. And then there's mm-hmm. other people who come, and they just, you know, the, the fit is just, they want to act at the table. Like we had uh, Curtis Armstrong and, and Bonnie Gordon once play these librarians. And I don't know if, you, <laughs> if you've ever had the pleasure of, of playing or seeing Bonnie Gordon um, and Curtis Armstrong. It was just hilarious, you know, and they would just soliloquy to fill in space at the table they were sitting at. Like, it's very ad hoc and the DMs are so good and so creative. They'll, they'll make it work. You know, they'll, they'll take the resources and fit them in. So, um, yeah, the, the problem is we just want to bring everyone to the castle. And there's only so much space in the castle. It's the limiting factor. But, uh, now we got to make yeah. sure Chris Lindsay has his Merc the Moneylender costume on hand for, for oh, crashing yeah. anybody's table when nice. he's not already DMing. <clears throat> there yeah. you go. It reminds me so much uh, of the stuff we were doing with D&D Live and uh, uh, Stream of Many Eyes and at The Descent, like just trying to create this immersive feeling when you're there. You're, right. you're, you're a part of a world. Uh, and right. I love that you're kind of continuing that forward and letting people play D&D all for the entire weekend. And the trick is, is that all of this sort of like, once you get, we're, we're big believers in, in like the, the customers of, of the user experience as a, um, uh, as, as, as pivotal, you know, sort of looking at the psychology of how you arrive how you sort of shed the world when you come in. That's why we have the you need in the mm. tavern. Get your yayas out, meet each other, get those, you know, get the, the outside world out. And then we have the Barovian Ball, which is relatively simple, but it's an opportunity to sort of, now you're in the castle. Now things are castle you know, now you you do the castle things and, you know, you can make that transition. And we have a sort of character. ceremony that, that, you know, you kind of now become a community. And it's, it's a simple greeting, basically, that you just move down the line greeting every single person at the castle while the mu- music plays. It's very, very simple, uh, but it, it really helps to, oh, now we're a community. Now we're castlers. Now we're right. at the castle. So, And as we said, everything is about the game. So all of this is to bring down the inhibitions, make people more comfortable so you don't spend the first four hours around your table feeling awkward around strangers. You hit mm-hmm. the ground running. Now, we've had people show up that have gelled before the event that have written like book long backstories about their, <laughs> about their adventuring party. They've come with commissioned artwork. They've come with like gifts, like special handmade gifts for their DM. Like people are already invested. And if we take out that social complexity, we take out, you know, just make people feel as comfortable as possible. Then there's no time wasted. You're at the table. You're at the, you know, you hit the ground running. Yeah. That's another struggle with, you know, often playing games is you have four hours. We spent the first three hours just gelling. Right. Mm-hmm. Like as opposed to we also have a digital tavern online. We've got a great um, community portal that people can connect with each other. You can connect with the DM. The DM can share information about the game all in advance. Um, and so we're, we're working to figure out how to make that as useful as possible for for uh, for making the game, you know, as, as immersive as possible. But all these things, the ball, the dance, the, the food, the welcome, the castle, it's all about just getting everyone on the same page because the real magic honestly really comes from you know, the, the power of the imagination and the collaborative aspect of the game. And we have a, we have sort of a secret motto of the castle, which is Fantasia et Fortuno. Fortuna. Ah, my Italian has gotten better. Fantasia et Fortuna, which is translated to fantasy and fortune or imagination and luck, which is really 
to us captures the magic of the game. It's it's the power of human imagination confined by the luck, by the dice, That's, by the odds. Yeah. You know, and that that created they say creativity loves constraints and. Between those two things around the mm. table with nothing else in the way, that's to us what creates the perfect game of game. It's, it, I love how thoughtful it, y- you both are with the, the player exp- or with the, the fan experience of coming to the castle, like thinking about how to, to make the introduction part easier and just the welcoming part, but yet still feeling really in world. And I imagine, I don't know, Amanda, this. It's like somewhat of a challenge or not as a dungeon master when you're DMing at an event like this and the players don't know each other. I mean, I know, are, are there, like, is that, is that upper, an opportunity? Is that more of a challenge? Like, how do you use your session zero to continue what, what Tara and Cameron are, are working on? Uh, um, well, having the digital tavern, like they mentioned, is really useful because then people can sort of make themselves known and um, can comment on, uh, you know, basic questions like mine, you know, what type of story do you want to tell at the castle? Um, but using that session zero for everybody to really touch base and very deliberately talk about what type of character have they brought at that point in time, they'll know what type of game it is that I'm running. They'll have an idea of who their character is. They'll have an idea of what sort of arc maybe their character will be on. Um, it's the time when people, you know, decide um, uh, I've got a warlock character who's going to go, you know, all the way down to a dark pact or something like that, um, or vice versa. You know, I've, I've got a paladin um, who's, uh, you know, going to question his faith and then um, we come back even stronger than ever. Those are the kind of conversations to have so that I can have a good background of where they're they're wanting to go. Um, I, I am a DM and very deliberate about asking questions about who are your character's family members? Where did they come from? Why do they adventure? Why do they do what they do? What are their goals? What motivates them? And then I take all that information and I use it as a cudgel to beat them over the head emotionally <laughs> with what they experience, um, but in a fun way. In a fun way as, as far as like bringing in a very beloved, you know, um, sibling or parent or mentor or something uh in a way that you know is kind of surprising and and that really gives them the sense that i'm paying attention to what they're doing but also immerses them in that experience the way um uh, tara and cam mentioned so so i should i should say that you know whenever i do these types of events and especially this one really is a great um, opportunity to do so, I'm going to create uh, what is a unique experience. Um, it might be based on something that's been published, but will not be exactly uh, what's on the page. It'll be something that you'll be able to to um, go through uh, an experience that is unique to this experience. There's nothing else like it. Um, that's the kind of stuff I love, whether it's a new NPC, whether it's a side story, whether it's something completely homebrew based on an adventure seed in, um, you know, Van Richten's Grad to Ravenloft uh, or whatever, but there will be something uh, completely brand new. Like there's nothing, there's nothing about this that you'll be able to anticipate. And that's my hope that they are really, um, you know, just really brought in by that type of experience. You're reminding me of something else. We just started this year at the event, um, which is an oath. Um, and oh. The oath is there's a long form, but everyone takes an oath. And the but there's a the short version is um, all for the game and the game for all. Mm-hmm. And the goal is that that's the touchstone that the DM can rely on if things wander off, right? Like, hey, we're right. all here to play this game. That's why we're here, right? We're not here to you know if you're late for the, the you know if, if I don't know people are distracted or on their phone or they're they're doing you know there's an opportunity to remind everyone this is why we're here and that's why everyone's here. 
and also a way to to touch base on whether or not everyone's comfortable with what's happening and you know everyone's happy like some people might love it if you you know uh, emotionally torture your character that's why they're there and other people might you know that might not be their thing so reminding that this is the game everyone wants to play and yeah. so the the defense against that well that's what my character would do is like yeah but this is the game for everyone it's all for the game and the game for all you're contributing to everyone's experience by being here and that has been like absolutely the case like that has been how people want to contribute um, and play and it also is touches on something that we look for carefully in the feedback one of the questions we ask in feedback is you um, you feel comfortable bringing your full self um, to the castle and being yourself um, because one of the things that we we try to do is also maintain a very diverse uh, group of people at the castle we try and you know make sure there's representation in the dms that we uh, recruit and you know paying attention to when people choose to come to this game, are they welcome? Do they feel welcome? Do they feel part of the group, regardless of like where they come from or what their background is or, you know, um, how they choose to present themselves. So all of those things are bundled up in this commitment that we have to um, uh, all for the game and the game for all. And also the, in terms of that diversity, you know, the human demographic diversity, but also diversity of, of gaming. So we have people who've never played before, people who've only ever DM'd, like our guy who read all the books. Some people show up with like Canvas Scribe, you know, a novel length backstory. And some people just show up and go, well, wait, what do I do? Do I need a sheet? Like, how do I get, how do I fill this out? So, we, you know, we, we have all a whole range and we're prepared to receive all those people. So if people are thinking, oh, I'm not going to write it, not, I'm not, I'm not going to be that prepared. I don't know what to say about my game. Like people do just show up and we've never heard from them except when they bought their ticket and then they appear at the castle and they have you know, an amazing time and they're, they're welcomed into the game. And that, and that I will say our, um, our DMs and perhaps Amanda, you can confirm this every time there's someone who's never played before, like the DMs fight over that person. So, <laughs> so we get so people, excited. They're right. There. And people so are like, I don't know if I want to come. I've, I've never played before. I might feel out of my depth or something. It's the absolute opposite. The more of a noob you are, the more excited the DMs are to play with you. They want to give you your first experience and they, they literally fight over who gets, who gets that player. And, and something I wanted to add to what Amanda said as well about, you know, custom building this game. People sometimes ask us, you know, oh, what kind of game it is? Or, and, and we've never had someone play something out of the box. Everything is custom. I, I mean, I think for the DMs, the fun is that they get to flex their muscles a little bit. Or we have people who say, I ran this one shot and like 80% of my material, we never even got to do. <laughs> so like, Take that one shot. And now you've got like, 24 hours of game time yeah. to go into that. So. Like in one of Paul Foxcroft's game, they had adopted this pigeon, this bird, and their goal was to make it sentient. That's like what, this, <laughs> you know, and so of course he's trying to get, you know, stay on topic and they're like, oh, this bird, we're going to, we're going to bring this thing to, to sentience. And it, you know, obviously became a side, side quest that, uh, changes things but uh and then you know, a pigeon Will flew Doyle onto back. the window during the session and all of a sudden yeah. they were like oh my god it happened for real i love that i, mean, I love they're yeah. in the basement i guess how many how much do dms uh get inspired by the surroundings like by yeah. the actual physical location of where they are like how much does it that depends on the in? dm it really depends i mean some very much some ask for floor plans of the castle so they can build their campaign specifically right. around oh. the actual layout and Others just sort of show up and run something in space, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or like uh, uh, Alquin ran the game of everyone played dragons. And so, you know, you the game started when they were hatchlings and, you oh. know, brought into the world. And then there was a, a nearby village that kept lore, that worshipped these dragons and kept the lore. So every, you know, session they would advance 50 or 100 years and continue this game that had nothing to do with the castle. It was completely out there in this like wild experience that sounded fun but 
you know, the fact that you're in the castle gets everyone in the right headspace, yeah. but it can really vary from one extreme to the other. Amanda, do you want the floor plans? I was just going to ask I her that. absolutely do. That would be fantastic. <laughs> the most haunted rooms, please. The graveyard next door or something. <laughs> there is, there's a well that in legend, a Ooh. woman was thrown down for not converting to Catholicism or something, married a, a heretic and was kidnapped and murdered by monks. I don't know if it's true, but that's the story. I mean, that, and the well is there. That's a story hook right there. I know, right? I want to yeah, find that say that Lily Avenger. Of Lombard, the famous ghost that um, still haunts the the halls of of uh, Lonely Castle. Well, you, you've you've been there before. Have you seen any? I have haven't felt but any present. Others really? have definitely claimed that absolutely someone walked through their room, a door shut. You know, mm-hmm. we definitely have sightings at the castle. Personally, I have not been witness to the ghost myself, but I've I've been reported to about ghost sightings. <laughs> we get an NPC to play a ghost. Absolutely. 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 There you go. Yeah, because earlier, um, Cam, you mentioned Jeremy like walking through the halls, you know, talking about NPCs. That was the ghost that everyone saw? It was was Jeremy. We knew it all along. That's why he never ages. He just always looks the same. Um, But it made me think like, well, you have this whole space to play with. Like how, how much do the DMs and the groups like, use the like greg was asking like use the surroundings like actually as part of the game yeah well what we so we um you rotate rooms so you're not in the same room every day every session okay so you do get a chance to play in different areas of the castle nice um one of the reasons we chose lumley is and believe me we have looked at every available castle in europe like we have flown what people a, there to what scout a it burden we, have, we know all the castles <laughs> we know all the castles what a tax and there's a balance yeah what we look for is, um, you know, it has to be castle-y. It has to be a real castle. So that chops down a lot of, like, castles that are probably technically castles. But, you know, there's no turrets. There's no, you know, it doesn't have that. You know, it's a manor uh, house. Come on, people. Yeah. Even if it's a castle-y manor house, that might be okay. But, like, you know, you've got to feel castles. like you're at a castle. Right. And uh, then the next thing is, like, has it been, can you even sleep in it? Can you stay in it? Most of the castles are museums by now or run by the National right. Trust in the UK or you know, that's a challenge. And then you whittle it down again with, is it, has it been, you know, furnished by Ikea, which is again, another challenge. And, so you know, like a super eight on yeah. Is it like a luxury <laughs> castle? Like, is it really nice? And then does it have good gaming spaces, places that are big enough, enough room to feel relaxed and, and, you know, have the space to game. And for the most part, people are at their table. That's the, you know, practical nature, but you know, they might go for a walk together to, to, to talk about a space or, or use, use the, the event. But it really narrows down to very, very few castles. And Lumley has been a great partner um, in helping us uh, deliver this event. So, um, yeah, the spaces are amazing. It's very castly, And taking a quick walk um, or connecting with your DM over lunch or something like that uh, at, at various places in the castle is definitely something some people do. Some people do more than others, you know. I think a lot of people, too, are also excited to uh, get back to in-person gaming in general yeah, uh, after all of this. So. so you know, I mean, I know you just came from 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 a couple of events uh, uh, at Gen Con and things like that. So, like, is that is that like a general feeling that everyone is like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to actually play D anD D in person again? 
Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. During the pandemic um, and, you know, in perpetuity, a lot of people's games moved online using various VTT platforms. And there were, you know, there were benefits of, of that, right? Like you could get people in different time zones to play at your table, um, for example. But just unilaterally, um, what I've been hearing uh, even in my own game groups as well is like, we can't wait to have our friends come over on Friday night again and just play D&D. We can't wait to go to conventions and meet up with people, you know, from across the country or the world and play D&D together. So I feel like that, you know, this is really a watershed moment, right? This year of D&D in a castle in which people are finally getting to return to the expression of D&D that many of us love the most and that they're doing it in this really unique setting with this really unique experience with, you know, DMs who are, you know, sort of preparing that as like a boutique experience for people. So I do think that this year um, of all years is probably going to be really meaningful to the guests at the castle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and Hasbro you were talking about and, safety tools and things uh, for, yep. you know, games of sessions and zeros and things like that. But uh, you are also uh, doing everything you can to make sure that people who are coming are as safe as possible too, right? Oh, sorry. That was to us. Yes. yes to you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, part of it is the, uh, you know, the oath and giving everyone the ground rule that this is, you know, uh, you're here for everyone. And then communication with the DMs, uh, making sure that they understand that if there's anything weird at the table, you know, or there's, there's a challenge, um, you know, to tell us and we'll have someone sit in on the game and listen. And then if, you know, if there's a, a serious problem, you know, we may take uh, different measures, you know, there's security at the castle and things like that. It, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty rare for things to escalate beyond a conversation. Um, so that's, that's what we do to, to and, you know, it becomes a self-regulating uh, if someone is being difficult, it usually stands out because that's not why everyone's there. It becomes like a very self-regulating um, sort of culture and community, which is is quite helpful. But yeah, we do we're, we're learning every year. We're building on it every year. And we're developing um, forms for the DMs to be able to use at the session zeros and safety tools. And we do kind of our, the DMs that we uh, that we engage with are very experienced and very professional mm-hmm. and are accustomed to running games with a variety of people. And sometimes that's sort of parasocial space that they work in. And so we trust in and work with our DMs. And, and our, our goal is to support our DMs in creating the game that they know is right. And so um, a lot of the times we take our cues from them, but we do sort of provide some support for that. Um, and we're, we're developing that and developing policies around that as we grow. And as we, you know, we started out with a, with like 30 people, you know, <laughs> it's easy to control 30 people, but as we grow and we become bigger castles and more per year, it starts to have to be a little bit more formalized. So it's kind of growing and changing as we grow, but we're certainly something that we're really conscious about and making sure that everyone has a great experience and no one is allowed to ruin that. Yeah, and what's evolved is is really an appreciation for the professional DM. Um, I know it's something that people talk about academically, but part of being a professional DM is the profession of of managing a table. And those and the feedback that we've often got from DMs is that they have their way of handling the table, and we need to support that. Some people, you know, they they want to use X cards. Other people want to have certain types of conversations. Other people have forms that you fill out beforehand to talk about things you like and don't like, and they adjust that. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And we found that giving the DMs the way that they do it best and, you know, making sure we at least have a conversation that they, you know, are, are prepared for that and then giving them what they need has become really the way to, the way to do it as opposed to laying down some kind of corporate, uh, you know, uh, messaging about how things should be. But, um, you know, we have our own policy, but it's, it's mostly about supporting DMs. Makes sense. All right, well... I'm convinced. I want to be a caster. When can I take the oath? <laughs> uh, September second, we begin our next round of events. We have uh, we have six more events this year. September second to sixth, 
7th to 11th and 14th to 18th. And then in October, we have another three from October, I'm gonna get this wrong, 14th, beginning the middle of it, middle to end of October. I'll say that. DNDNCastle.com has it and have an amazing list of talent. Uh, Amanda, Amanda being one of them. Uh, lots of people from Wizards of the Coast, people who have developed content, content writers who've written possibly some of our viewers' favorite campaigns, um, people who have uh, been part of part of D&D for a long time, part of the popularity of D&D with streamers, um, voice actors, uh, all, all kinds of different types of talent for YouTubers um, as well that people are interested in. So pretty much any every direction that people get into D&D from, uh, we have representation from that. So cool. I love yeah. it. Well, yeah, D&D in a castle, uh, dot com. You should check it out if you're interested. It sounds like something I think any, everybody listening would love to do is play D&D for three days uh, uh, with the same uh, dungeon master. And now I'm thinking like, I'm sure there are people who have come up a couple of times as DMs. And then what if there's a campaign that ends up like, you know, going on forever? So this isn't just, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a, a not a one shot, but like, you know, a campaign that happens over a weekend, but it happens over a longer period of time. Like that seems so one, interesting. One of the too. bits of feedback we get is, can we do a fourth day? Can we do four days? <laughs> can I just like, be in D&D in a castle all the time? I know. Yeah. Like leave them wanting more, right? That's, right. Uh, yeah. All right. D&D in a commune. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you end up going home playing D&D in a basement, which is, you know, also completely valid and a wonderful thing that everyone should do. And, you know, we've seen people take this idea of uh, playing RPGs on vacation starting to be a thing. And we're so excited to see this, um, you know, take hold in the mainstream mind of like a, a legitimate uh, pastime that you can spend your hard-earned vacation on. And, yeah. or, you know... Yeah, there's also, yeah. And one of the what? things we love about D&D is you can play it anywhere with anyone at any time in any place. And it's a free, I mean, relatively free, depending. You can spend a lot of money on D&D, but you generally you don't have to. It takes your imagination and a set of dice pretty much. And away you go. Um, and we love that, that there's every, everyone can, it's so accessible to everybody. And this is, we know there's a cost associated with coming to a castle and having an all-inclusive vacation with people who've, you know, flown across the world and so on. So this is one option of D and D, and 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 a way to create a, an amazing experience for people. And it's it's one particular. It's a balance option. of like externally very exclusive because there's only so much space in the castle. It's really what it comes down to supply and demand. Right. You know, like it's it's yeah. externally very exclusive, and FOMO is very much our business model. But <laughs> but inwardly, it's very inclusive. And so we just try and focus on that. Make it as inclusive as possible within the castle and those who are able to come. And then hopefully some of the spirit and what we do for the community in that castle makes its way back out. And that's the way that we hope to, you know, uh, help support the, the positive future of D&D as a pastime. That's great. I can't wait to hear about your game, Amanda, and how it goes. Yep. And we'll have plenty of stories to tell <laughs> afterwards, I'm sure. Yeah, I want to hear the ghost stories. <laughs> I love awesome. It. Well, uh, I think I, uh, any other final thoughts before we close this out? I mean, I know we mentioned uh, the website, but do you want to promo anything else? Well, 2023 deposits are open if you want to come next year. I know with, uh, you know, D&D and Wizards and Hasbro have been such excellent partners. Um, there's a lot of exciting things happening next year. Uh, you know, the movie is coming up next year, the, the D&D movie. Um, so we're hoping to, uh, the, the, the 50th anniversary. anniversary, there's 
a lot of things happening next year. We're, we're working on ways to sort of capture some of that momentum and create some cool experiences. So um, uh, deposits are open. And, and you can find us on socials at DND in the castle, all one word. Yeah. That's where we are on all platforms. And so feel to reach, feel free to reach out with any questions. Like we're, we're, we're a small company, but we can, you know, we love getting direct mail and questions. If, if people want to just email us at contact at dndinthecastle.com. Um, any thoughts, ideas, questions you have about the event? If there's anything that you're wondering about before we make a final decision, we're happy to respond to that. That's great. Awesome. Well, and I know Lumley Castle is in the UK, uh, and I know that someone yeah. else is in the UK, Hugh Grant, and so I think he's available yeah. to come in <laughs> as Hugh an Grant, NPC. Hugh Grant, please NPC. Please reach out. Yeah. Come on. We will be very happy to have you. Hugh, if you're listening, please get in touch. <laughs> not, not we have if. a castle. I know a guy who can get it. <laughs> I know I we got, got a Mirth the Money Lender costume we can give you too. <laughs> right. It might stink a little bit. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, <laughs> all of you. <laughs> we'll get it cleaned. Uh, very excited. And again, Amanda, thank you for coming on to talk about this. I can't wait uh, to, to, to roll dice uh, maybe one day at Dina Castle with y'all. Happy to Wonderful. see you there. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks so much for having Thank you. What an amazing team. Right. Bringing D&D Castle, D&D Castle? D&D uh, in a castle to life. Cameron and Tara, I, 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 I want to be in that family. Can we be in that family? I, I mean, they'd probably put us to work on this D&D in a castle <laughs> if we were. But I would be, I would be happy to do that because right. I would be happy to work in a castle surrounded by people who love D&D and have come to this amazing experience because they want to play D&D. That's and putting on an immersive event. I mean, it's I like my that. jam. It's such I mean, my jam. We're theater people. We totally, we could be some of those NPCs. I think they would love that. Uh, especially if we're singing musical theater and doing dance moves the entire time. No, that part oh, they're shoot. not going to love it. If it's me, but maybe <laughs> you, but nobody wants me to ruin their event by singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you're an NPC who's coming in uh, as the ruiner of things, uh, perhaps that or just, could work. Uh, yeah, like it's or fantasy. a failed performance Maybe. check. This is what it sounds Maybe. like: a failed performance check. <laughs> <laughs> Are those Jaya's hands? Da, 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 da. I am doing. I'm doing all these moves. You guys can't see it, but you can maybe hear it in my voice. Oh, for sure. I feel da, like they can. Da, da. And let me tell you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So. <laughs> That's good stuff. Find out all about that stuff. And of course, everything going around for Dungeons and Dragons on our social channels. You can go to wizards underscore DND on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as well as DD Beyond. Lots of great things happening there um, as well. So tune in to find out uh, during Wizards Presents some of those fun things, in fact. Yeah, because we really want to talk about them. Yeah. So listen in, and then we can talk about them. Next week, we will, perhaps, even. Yay. Yay. Uh, you can follow me. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter. Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Got lots of fun things happening. But what is going on with you, Shelly? Oh, I mean, you oh, can you follow me too. at Shelly Moo. I do. I do. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we have our book, Welcome to Dragon Talk. That we do. Very interesting deep dive into the D&D community. Some of the folks uh, actually who are at D&D Castle are, are essays in uh, our book. So you can find out all there about them and uh, some of the community there. 
and we'll be giving out lots of fun information about that soon. Yes, very excited. Yes. And also very excited for what's happening with Chucky Tishes. Me too. I leveled up. You have leveled up, right? So you have all types of fun new toys to play with. I do. But you are in the Radiant Citadel, uh, an entire uh, city that's vibrant, full of life and people. uh, You were transported there from Waterdeep by the open lord of Waterdeep in pursuit of your brother, Daryl Two Shoes. And you went into a bar, a tavern. You ordered a, a drink. And the bartender gave you a drink, and it was called the Drunky Two Shoes. Right. Not weird at all. Not weird at all. Uh, and he's like, "So, how do you uh, how do you enjoy it?" But wait, remember he was also trying to charge me like fifteen hundred gold pieces. It's fifteen hundred gold pieces. No, sir. I'm just kidding. It was. Oh! It's not actually fifteen hundred. I was wondering. It. You seem like uh, you're not from around here, so I thought I might be able to Is pull anyone? the wool over your eyes. Yeah, I, I actually don't know where I am at all. Well, this is uh, a bastion of uh, civilization here on the ethereal plane. Um, so I'm actually here looking for my brother. Your brother? Yes. What uh, is he called? Daryl. Daryl? Yes. Interesting. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Like how I heard he's here. Hmm. I've never met anyone by the name of Daryl before, but I do know that the uh, ancient proprietor of this very establishment was named Daryl. Okay. Daryl what? (laughs) It's a funny name, really. Uh, Daryl Two-Shoes. Okay. Sir, I have... I have... Are you messing with me? I mean, other than the cost of your drink, uh, but uh, that's just a friendly ribbing we like to do to all customers here. Sir, my name is Drunky Two-Shoes, and my brother's name is Daryl Two-Shoes. What is going on here? Are you messing with me? No. Do I have an ID? Do you carry ID? (laughs) (laughs) How can that be? Uh, That is my name. And my brother's name is Daryl. He doesn't own this pr- this this pr- drunk. He can't say that word. Um, he's not. A, he's not a. Because pr- 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 <laughs> He doesn't own a bar. It would be awesome if he did, but he doesn't. He's lost, and I have to find him. And I don't understand what's happening and why this drink is named after me. Well, he is lost. That is correct. What do you mean? Well, I've only started working here uh, a few years ago, but. Uh, everyone who has told me about this place says it's been here for centuries and that it is uh, one of the uh, most friendliest and open establishments here on the Citadel. And it was founded by a person named Daryl Two-Shoes. But he's, the legend goes that he disappeared uh, after he established this place and has not returned. Okay. Do you, like, do you know when? Uh, centuries. Uh, I, I'd, no. I'd have to look at the the more thorough records. Maybe that's something that you could do is try to find out more. But when they told me when I started working here, uh, that's the only thing that was consistent was uh, the the this recipe for this drink and uh, that legend that he had established this centuries ago before he disappeared. Is this place weird? Like, 
are we like going back in time or forward in time or something? Is there some kind of weird time travel thing happening here? That could be. But like I said, maybe you should go to the Hall of Records uh, to find out more. Okay. Can I get one of these drinks to go? <laughs> of course. Uh, that is another interesting thing about uh, this establishment. It's the only one that uh, invented to-go cups. Oh! And so he takes out uh, a, uh, a metal uh, cup uh, with a lid on it that snaps on. Nice. Uh, and a, uh, a metal straw. It looks like it was crafted out Very of tin. Very environmentally friendly. And then on the label on the outside of this uh, tin cup is a picture of you. Dude. And then he's like, oh, I didn't. Yeah. Whoa. What? Is- That's my image. That's me. That's me. What's uh, happening? I'm very confused. I don't, I don't know what's happening. Well, now I'm invested. You need to tell me what's going on. Well, now I'm also not paying for my drinks because you guys are stealing my image. <laughs> so, <laughs> fair is fair. Well, as I've said, this is the friendliest uh, establishment on the Citadel. And so, of course, a drunky two-shoes for a drunky two-shoes seems like a fair trade. Okay, you can keep my image. Well, Let's go solve the mystery. Please let me know, and then I will uh, spread the word about your brother. Thanks. All right. We'll find out what happens when you go to the Hall of Records next time. Oh, this is getting weird. Simon, why me? This is weird. I love it. Okay. Weird, weird, weird.